Happy New Year and welcome to Culture Wire. I'm your host, Meg Schiffler. We're kicking off 2010 in the Mission District at Intersection for the Arts, one of San Francisco's oldest alternative art spaces. On this episode of Culture Wire, we'll take a look at Intersection's current exhibition, One Day, a collective narrative of Tehran. We'll also take a trip to the Yerba Buena District to experience a time-honored Filipino tradition. And we'll meet an innovative local choreographer who's breaking new ground with his unique blend of dance, storytelling, and theater. And I struggled at the time with the idea of even giving part of myself over to uh, living as a working artist because I felt that it was, um, it felt really selfish to be an artist. In December, San Francisco's Yerba Buena District was transformed by a constellation of sparkling star-shaped paroles. A parole is a lantern found throughout the Philippines during the holiday season. Since 2003, the annual Parole Lantern Festival and Parade has kept this time-honored tradition alive and brought the community together in the process. Director of Cultural Affairs Luis Cancel recently met with the festival organizers Alleluia Panis and MC Canal to learn more about the significance of this festival of light. The San Francisco Arts Commission gets to help San Franciscans to celebrate their ethnic and cultural diversity. And we do that by helping to support many festivals throughout the city. One of those festivals is celebrated in December by the Filipino community. It's called the Parole Lantern Festival. And joining me today to talk about the Parole Festival is the coordinator of that festival, MC Canales. MC, you're the, you work with the Bayanihan Cultural Center, don't you? Yeah, Bayanihan Community Center. Since 2003, you helped to establish this festival here in San Francisco. That's correct. And what motivated you to bring this festival and this celebration to the city? Fortunately, I come from the town in the Philippines where the Lantern Festival is so uh, rich and uh, uh, very much popular in our hometown. So we imported the tradition and uh, rekindled it in San Francisco. This is a tradition that goes back really hundreds of years, isn't that's, it? That's correct. It's connected to the Christianization of the Philippines. We, we had this tradition of uh, going to church, which is related to Simbangabi, which is related to the story of nativity. So in the nativity, the highlight is the Star of Bethlehem. So the Star of Bethlehem became the symbol also of parole. In fact, here in San Francisco, um, many different community groups come together to create their, uh, their lanterns for the festival. Is that correct? That's correct. The inspiration of that is also from San Fernando because the lantern festival in San Fernando, it's coming from different villages or barrios wherein they create their own lantern. It's only during the eve before Christmas when they show all their lanterns and then they have this competition among the different villages and then the villages will determine which among those lanterns produced during the holiday season deserves to be the lantern of the year. Now I know that uh, you undertake workshops during the year in preparation for the festival. Yeah, as early as September 
October and November when the month starts with the ER, that's the, the consciousness of people that start preparing the lanterns. By October, people start coming to Bayanihan and see for themselves what kind of lantern they will do for this season because every year they want to have a different designs of lanterns. And can you describe for me, you know, who comes to these workshops? During the first year, because it's very, very few who knows how to do it. So everybody in the neighborhood uh, came to the workshop. You no know, children, seniors. The people are coming from the suburbs as far as Antioch, uh, Pinol, Vallejo. And then they come here to learn the lantern because they're also inspired to uh, do the lantern festival in their area, but they don't have the technology and also the expertise that we have in San Francisco. If you go to a place where you have a Filipino household, chances are during the holiday season they put lantern because lantern is a symbol of Filipino and a symbol of hope and and uh, and blessings. No, so therefore Filipino identify with the lantern. And we're surely going to be interviewing um, Alleluia Panis from Cool Arts. And uh, how, do, what's, how does that collaboration work? It's a great uh, collaboration in the sense that uh, FAD at Bayanian Community Center more connected with the community in producing their lanterns. But then to showcase them into a performance, into a procession, into a festival, into a parade, into an offering of the Tala Award, which is the most prestigious award for the year, we need the expertise and professionalism of Cool Arts. MC, I want to just thank you so much for sharing this insight with us uh, here on Culture Wire, and uh, so and and for you know bringing this cultural tradition to San Francisco. Thank you very much. It's also our first year. The Cultural Equity Grants Program of the San Francisco Arts Commission has played the, uh, a leading role in helping to support many community-based arts organizations, and one of the performance highlights of the Parole Festival is provided by Cool Arts. And the founder of this organization, Alleluia Panis, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. How did you, your organization come about to being, becoming part of the Parole Festival? Since the Parole Festival actually deals with using the arts as a way to mobilize communities and to work with communities, and we are an arts organization, it was natural for us to help with the production or the presentation of the final event. This is about bringing the community together at the end of the year, and it's based on a Philippine um, cultural practice around Christmas time, around the end of the year. So there's a lot of warmth, and, and a lot of the uh, younger generation, a lot of the kids that are, you know, born and raised here, or second or third generation uh, Filipino Americans, also really appreciate having this kind of event. So you have a very unique perspective because you you've been part of the Parole Festival from the very beginning. Could you share with me how it maybe it how how has it changed how has it evolved since the very first one? There, there's so many changes, um, but what we want to bring into the parole is more of um, organizing the performance aspect of it, the, the last event, um, based on um, performance productions or presentations. So we're able to bring in sort of like uh, you know scheduling. Um, you know, different ways of making sure that we're organizing the 500 people that are going to be coming in. And most of the time with the parole festival, it does basically ends up in the church. 
So last year, in preparation for the rain, uh, we were able to secure St. Patrick's Church so that we do the program there. It's, it's a year-round thing for the parole-making um, workshop, so folks can come, um, visit our website, check it out. We have a lot of things going on here in South of Market that a lot of people don't know about. Um, come on down. It's not just the Big East, but we're the, the small arts organization also working here. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for sharing you know, the, your insights with us here on Culture Wire and for helping to make San Francisco such a diverse community. Thank you. To learn more about Cool Arts upcoming programs, visit coolarts.org. And for the Filipino American Development Foundation, visit bayanihancc.org. Sean Dorsey of Fresh Meat Productions is recognized as the nation's first out transgender modern dance choreographer. Sean has dazzled audiences from San Francisco to New York with his powerful performances that provide a window into the transgender and queer experience. San San Wong, the director of the Cultural Equity Grants Program at the San Francisco Arts Commission, met with Sean to discuss his upcoming show, Uncovered, The Diary Project. I'm San San Wong, Director of Grants for the Cultural Equity Grants Program at the San Francisco Arts Commission, and I'm thrilled to be talking to Sean Dorsey, choreographer, who's been commissioned by our grants program. Hi, Sean. Hi, San San. Thank you so much for letting us see your rehearsal. Um, tell us a little bit about your dance company and Fresh Meat Productions. I am the artistic director of Sean Dorsey Dance, which is my dance company, and uh, I create dance theater that incorporates modern dance as well as text and storytelling um, to explore transgender and queer themes, but um, in a way that I hope is really universal and human. So that's the dance company, and also Fresh Meat Productions brings together other artists from various communities. Can you talk a little bit about Fresh Meat? Fresh Meat Productions is the first organization of our kind in the nation. We create, present, and tour year-round transgender and queer arts programs. So we have an outrageously popular uh, festival of transgender and queer performance. That's the Fresh Meat Festival each June. Um, we have the resident dance company, which is my dance company, Sean Dorsey Dance. Um, we have Fresh Meat in the Gallery, which is an exhibitions program. We feature international and national um, arts exhibits featuring transgender visual artists, and we also have a media arts program. So, for example, we co-present Tranny Fest, which is an annual transgender film festival. There was a beautiful quote that I read that you said, I came to peace as I realized that my art was my activism. Can you talk about how you came to this realization, and has dance always been your art form? My identity, I think, through my adolescence and as a young adult was actually much more as an activist. Um, so it was when I was doing grad school, I was in a, a community economic development program um, that I opened my journal one day and came to see that literally every, you know, clipping I had clipped out um, and images I had uh, collected and drawn were all of the, the body in motion and of dance. Um, and I struggled at the time with the idea of even giving part of myself over to uh, living as a working artist because I felt that it was... Um, it felt really selfish to be an artist. Um, my understanding of uh, my best contribution to my community was through traditional activism, through, 
through community leadership, lobbying, community organizing, and so on. It was a many-year process, but I came to see that my, I think, most effective contribution as an activist to my community is actually through dance and dance theater. You've come out as the first out transgender choreographer in the country, and yet you're also a choreographer. How do you, how do you reconcile that tension? Mm. So certainly I am transgender, I go through the world as transgender, and that impacts my daily hourly experience as a human being. Um, but I'm a working artist and um, have devoted my life to being a working artist and being a, a leader in my community through Fresh Meat. Um, so, and I think that what I'm really proud of in my work and my audiences is that my audiences are an amazing mix of transgender people and queer people and totally mainstream straight dance lovers and theater lovers. So, so that is a balance that I really care about and feel really um, protective of and careful with that I, all my work addresses trans experience in some way, certainly. But I'm always doing that with an eye to and wanting a lens into really universal human questions. I want to create work that everyone can relate to. So you're remounting Uncovered, the diary project, and this is a piece that really speaks to the activism and the art. So mm. tell us about Uncovered. So Uncovered, the diary project is an evening of dances that incorporate theater and storytelling and also archival material to uh, reveal and talk about the lives and life stories of transgender and queer people that history has tried to erase. Um, I wanted to look at questions of collective memory and the gatekeepers of history, and I used the diary as a, a lens or a doorway into those questions. So the show actually incorporates um, real text from the real-life diaries of some transgender and queer people. A diary is such an intimate record. And it's a secret, you know, that's not usually shared with other people. Can you talk about how you brought something that's so intimate, so secret, to the stage? Um, in the case of Lou Sullivan, who, um, whose lifelong diaries I incorporate in the suite of dances, Lou, how do I embody somebody who passed on in 1991 without literally recreating him? Lou was an enormously pioneering female-to-male transgender activist and writer, community leader. He transitioned at a time that was very early for our community and didn't see himself reflected anywhere in organizations. There was no above-ground transgender community really at the time. So he was really, really active in early transgender community formation. So when he knew he was um, dying, he wanted to make sure he bequeathed record of his life. So he left 30 years of his journals. There's obviously a lot of tra tragedy in Lou's story. Um, I didn't want to make art from a victim place or from that stuck place. Um, it's important to show that Lou was such a powerhouse. He was an incredibly empowered, powerful, embodied um, leader and actually had a lot of um, peace with his illness and passing, knowing that he was leaving on a legacy and a record for other people. Well, in, in the piece, you use so many different elements. You use humor, and you use dance, music, narrative, storytelling. How do you, how, how do you bring together the dance, the theater, the music, and the poetry? The first part of my process actually is with language, so before I walk into the studio, I've spent anywhere from three months to six months to a year working on the sound score. And 
only once I have a complete draft of the sound score do I come into the studio. And I may have a lot of ideas about vocabulary or imagery or lighting or costumes at that point, but I don't um, generate any movement physically with my company until I actually have a complete draft of the sound score because it's very... Um, my work is very driven by language and narrative and the cadence of language and inflection and tone um, informs the movement as much as the music does. So it's really important for me to have that whole context there um, to support the movement. I think one of the things that I love about the Fresh Meat Festival is that it's actually a forum for all of these heroes. It's launched careers and it's launched tours. And so a lot of the work actually has gone to other cities and states. Mm. And what has been the reception of those works and those artists yeah. in other places? Yeah, that's something that I'm so proud of that I could not have anticipated, that um, there are many artists whose careers really were launched at the Fresh Meat Festival, who then got seen by presenters or folks who came in from out of town to see the festival. Um, and a lot of artists will kind of harken back and say that was that was where I got seen or that was the first time I was commissioned or um, was invested in you know we uh, work really hard to fundraise to pay artists well we now commission artists um, to give artists kind of a living wage so that they can um, have the time and space to create the work over a period of months okay thank you so much Sean thank you so much for the opportunity thank you and now we want modern dance together <laughs> How about a clip of Gestural movement. Don't miss upcoming performances of Uncovered, The Diary Project, starting February 4th at Dance Mission Theater. Tickets are $15, and be sure to book in advance because the shows sell out quickly. For more information, visit freshmeatproductions.org. We're back at Intersection for the Arts with Program Director Kevin Chen to talk about the current exhibition, One Day, a collective narrative of Tehran. So this exhibition is called One Day, a collective narrative of Tehran. It's a group show with nine artists. Eight of them are living and working in Tehran, Iran, the capital city. And uh, Tarane Hamami, who is um, an Iranian-American based here in San Francisco. The project is really a collective exploration of a day in the life in Tehran. It's the 16th largest city in the whole world and it's the largest city in the Middle East. So as you enter into the gallery, one of the first pieces you see is a floor sculpture by Karane Hamami. It's a laser-cut green carpet of the streets of Tehran taken directly from the map of the city itself. It's an accurate representation of the geography of the city. It's positioned right next to the work of Ghazaleh Hadea. She took 77 taxicab rides and let the potholes and the street turns of the city of Tehran, the streets themselves dictate uh, the way that Tehran could be portrayed. One of the other pieces that you experience in the One Day Exhibition is an audio piece by one of the artists from Tehran, Nima Alizadeh. It's a 60-minute recording of state radio from Tehran, and it's piped through four speakers in the gallery space. The entire gallery is covered with um, 
Persian script in vinyl. White vinyl on white walls, a really kind of minimalist, subtle expression. And they kind of just emerge as you walk throughout the room. These are excerpts from the radio broadcast that you're hearing in the, the space. And it's just another visual reference point to uh, hopefully transport you to a different place and transport you to what potentially could feel like for yourself living one day in Tehran. One day, a collective narrative of Tehran closes on January 23rd, so be sure to stop by and visit. Also, I encourage you to check out some of Intersection's other dynamic programs, which include theater, live music, poetry readings, dance, and much more. Visit theintersection.org for more information. Somarf's Cultural Center's Bay Gallery invites visitors to take a trip into the world of sumo wrestling as seen through the eyes of 20 artists from the Bay Area and beyond with Into the Ring, sumo style. The exhibition starts on January 12th and runs through January 23rd. The opening reception is Friday, January 15th. Please contact Somart's Cultural Center for more information. The Lab, an interdisciplinary arts organization located in the Mission, will feature new work by artist-in-residence Christine Webster. Her exhibition explores how teenage engagement in online communities offers insight into image construction across three very different cultures, the United States, the United Kingdom, and China. For more information, contact the lab at thelab.org. Patrick Doherty's incredible willow sculpture, The Upper Crest, has graced the tops of the sycamore trees in City Hall Plaza for almost a year. Next month, we'll have to say goodbye to the sculpture, so if you haven't seen it yet, now's your chance. You can visit on your own, or you can join us for a free docent-led tour on Tuesday, February 2nd at 12 noon. The tour meets by the sculpture. To learn more, visit sfartscommission.org. This month, the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art kicks off its year-long 75th anniversary with a series of exhibitions and events that tell the story of the artists, collectors, visionaries, and community leaders who helped create the museum. On the next episode of Culture Wire, we'll take a trip to SF MoMA to get behind the scenes. But in the meantime, don't miss out on the museum's exciting anniversary programs and events. Visit sfmoma.org for more information. In addition to visiting SF MoMA, on the next episode of Culture Wire, we'll check out some important historic murals at a local high school that are about to get a little facelift with some help from the student body. We'll also share with you some of the other steps that the Arts Commission is taking to preserve its 3,000-piece civic art collection. You can send us your events listings or tell us what you'd like to see on future shows by emailing us at culturewire at sfgov.org. Happy holidays and thanks for watching Culture Wire on SFG TV.